0: Thank you, Father, for your word. We pray that you will help us to set our hearts and our minds on your word and on what you have to say to us this morning through the preaching of it. Through Jesus, amen. Matthew 9. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord.
1: For those of you that weren't here last week, we looked at uh, we looked at a crazy passage. Uh, we looked at an incident that the apostle Paul needed to respond to, and it was an incident or a situation that, if it happened today, probably would have made uh, the National Enquirer or would have made. Um, these daytime uh, shows where they look for the most outrageous things in the world to put on. I've never seen one. i <laughs> um, never seen one of those shows. Uh, but uh, the, it, it would have made that show uh, this uh, situation. And for those of you who weren't here, the situation in First Corinthians 5 is a, uh, a situation of sexual immorality but it's of such a kind that the world didn't even really, uh, wasn't really okay with it. The world of Corinth, not the church, but those outside the world weren't okay with this situation. The father is out of the picture, and the adult son is living as though he is married with his stepmother. And this is someone likely that's prominent in the church, an incestual sexual immorality that would uh, have made the inquirer. Uh, Today, we're going to see that the church in Corinth not only responded wrongly to that relationship of uh, incest, but they they responded wrongly to how uh, those outside the church who are living in immorality... They, they responded wrongly to Paul's direction on how to relate to those outside the church who are living in immorality. There the, the, the are two responses that Paul's going to speak to and the Corinthians uh, have gotten both of them wrong. And so we're going to see how you and I are called to respond as believers to those who are in our church family who may be living unrepentantly and how we're to respond to those that are outside the church family and are living worldly, uh, worldly lives. As I've read this passage this week and been in prayer, I've I've come to the conclusion that our church, Cornerstone, the church in America, is a lot more like the church in Corinth than we'd like to think. Uh, We have similarities and we're going to see those. And I'm praying that God is going to help us to respond to God's word today in ways that bring him glory. So let, let's pray one more time before we uh, pick it up in First Corinthians. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God, for its clarity, for its relevance, and that we have it, Lord. We are thankful that we aren't trying to figure out how to live life, but you have given us the way to go and the way to live and the way of wisdom. And so today, as we look at this passage and and finish up in 1 Corinthians 5, Lord, I pray that you would change us. And Lord, we all here need to change in different ways. And so I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would be at work on all of those different levels, all of our different lives. Lord, we're in awe when we think about your omnipresence and your ability to know each of our thoughts and hearts and minds and, and everyone on, on, on the whole planet. It's, its You are awesome, God. We thank you for this word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're not there, uh, grab a Bible uh, in front of you, pull it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. We're going to begin looking at verses 9 and 10. Paul says there, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. So we're going to stop here, a few comments before we, we talk about the heart of what's going on here. At the very beginning of verse nine, he says, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And if we look at the first part of First Corinthians, he doesn't he doesn't say that. And so what we have here is a mention of a previous letter prior to First Corinthians. So you may not have known, there was a letter, some of you probably know this, some of you uh, may have not known this, there was some communication from the apostle to the church at Corinth before 1 Corinthians, and, this, and he's clarifying what he said to them in that. So what do we, what do we make of that, this idea of apostles writing other letters? Uh, Charles Hodge writes this, he says, there is indeed a natural indisposition in Christians, to admit that any of the inspired writings are lost. But nothing is more natural than the assumption that the apostles wrote many short letters, not intended as pastoral epistles designed for the church in all ages, but simply to answer some questions or to give some direction relative to the peculiar circumstances of some individual or congregation. The church has all the inspired writings which God designed for her edification and we should be therewith content. Alright, so you got that? You're smiling. Did you know there was a, a Corinthians before? Yeah, so, so, so there was some correspondence prior to this to the church at Corinth. And he said something in that prior correspondence coming back to the text here about not associating with the sexually immoral. But then he's clarifying here what he was saying, and he's clarifying in verse 10, I didn't mean the people of this world. And then he describes what the people of the world look like, who are immoral. Again, referring to sexually immoral, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters. So he has these three categories here that many people of the world would fit into. Uh, Everyone is going to worship something. And if it's not Jesus, if it's not the triune God, it's, it's an idol where we, we all live for something. And those people of the world, he's mentioning these three categories, are living either for sex, the, the word immorality in the, in the, Greek, in the uh, NIV here, or they're living for money, greedy and swindlers, or some other kind of idolatry. They're going to be excessively attached to something in the place of the one true God. And Paul's saying, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to tell you not to associate with them. You got it wrong, Corinthians. You didn't get what I was trying to say. So the Bible expects those without the Holy Spirit to live immoral lives. It expects them to live that way. The Bible expects people without Christ to live in worldly ways. And Paul is expecting us To associate with them. He's clarifying, I didn't say, stay away from them. That's not what I meant. And that's apparently what they were doing. Charles Hodge, again, he writes, God, and not the church, is the judge of those who are without Again, the context here is there's this problem in the church and Paul's wanting to get the church to respond to that. Those of you that were here last week know that the church was actually more than okay. They're proud of what's going on with this incestual relationship, which is crazy. But they apparently are judging those outside and staying away from them. Bounce down to verse 12 for just a second. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? That's what you're supposed to do, Corinth, and they haven't done it regarding this relationship with this man and his stepmother. But they have disassociated with people outside who are living immoral lives, outside the church. They've gotten it, they've gotten it wrong. So, uh, so here we go into a little uh, controversy here. You guys uh, recognize uh, who's on the screen here, Kim Davis, um, the county clerk for Rowan County, Kentucky, in the Bible Belt, and we're all probably familiar, unless you don't watch TV or don't go online or don't read a newspaper or don't have a radio or don't talk to people, <laughs> um, unless you're one of those, uh, we may have a couple of those, um, you're probably familiar with what's happened here. And this woman has uh, said, I, as a county clerk, will not sign a marriage license between two men, between two women. She has the same theology that we do. She has the same Bible. She understands what marriage is. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And I would go beyond that as a pastor. uh, I want to sign marriage licenses when I do that. Uh, For someone, uh, a couple, uh, that's not only one man and one woman, but is one believing man in Jesus and one believing woman in Jesus. And so I have sympathies with her, and yet she's not a pastor, right? She's dealing with the world outside. See where I'm going a little? I'm kind of going into dangerous territory here. I, I, I don't want to be so critical of her. I, I want to kind of speak to us and say, we, we don't want to jump on any kind of bandwagon, any kind of spiritual bandwagon coming alongside a whole community that would be like, yeah, don't sign that. You hear what I'm saying? Do you hear the Apostle Paul? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? The Bible expects those without the Holy Spirit to live immoral lives. And we should expect that too. We don't want them to stay there. We want them to embrace Jesus and to repent. And the last way that we're going to do that is by banging them upside the head, judging them, making them feel miserable no matter what the sin is. Whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's some other kind of form of idolatry, don't stop associating with them. Well, Not only are we called to associate with those of the world, um, we're called to love them. Uh, during his earthly ministry, Jesus not only associate, associates with worldly people, but he loves them as friends. As friends. This is why I had Bud read the passage that he read today for the second part of it. and I want to take a look at it. On the screen here briefly, Matthew 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. We could paraphrase this, many people involved in organized crime and in sexual sin, and the kind of people that you don't want your kids to hang out with, this is who Jesus is having dinner with, tax collectors and sinners. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with Tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Mercy, not sacrifice. And I'll add from 1 Corinthians 5, not judgment. Those outside, they need to hear mercy. That God loves them and will forgive them. Not sacrifice, not, not do all this religious stuff. Pharisees, tac, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the religious leaders, Pharisees that are, that are there asking this. It, it's not the sacrifice you need to pile up. He desires mercy. For I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. This is who Jesus hung out with. Paul's clarifying in 1 Corinthians 5 that they've they've done the opposite of what he wants them to do. They've stopped associating with the people outside and they're okay with the sin inside the church. Unrepentance inside the church. D.A. Carson on this passage in his commentary, he writes, there is no suggestion here in Matthew 9 that he went to sinners because they gladly received him. Rather, he went to them because they were sinners. Just as a doctor goes to the sick, because they are sick. This is who we are called to love and to go to. I want to tell you a story now. Uh, in fact, I'm going to read to you his own in his own words his story. This guy, uh, Alex Early. Probably none of you have heard of this guy. Anybody know this, this guy? Unless you're uh, uh, up church planner in your 20s with uh, a goatee and those cool glasses and everything, you probably don't know uh, Alex early. I've kind of, I tried to read about uh, where he is now and just before I'm about to read to you quite a bit actually of of who he is and his story. Um, I think he's a a student now uh, working on his PhD at Reformed Seminary in Orlando. But I want to read to you about his journey some years ago. And planting a church, and he planted a church at the Alamo uh, Bar in Noonan, Georgia. That's the the uh, picture there of the place where uh, he ends up planting a church. This is back in in two thousand and seven. So let me read to you some of his story. These are his words. He writes this. He says, "I planted a church in a gay-friendly." rock and roll bar. Yes, I said it, gay. In my town, uh, there, there wasn't a gay bar, but this place was the place one could go if you were gay, bi, straight, married, single, dating, whatever. Tolerance and diversity was the name of the game, which is great because I can't think of anyone who appreciates and practices patience nor diversity better than God himself. In December of 2006, I started making some decisions informed by the Bible, led by the Holy Spirit, with my wife's blessing and support, and a few godly friends around me. You see, I had become incredibly convicted reading the Gospels and seeing that Jesus was a friend of drunkards and sinners. This began keeping me up at night. It was all I could think about. Friend? What does that even mean? I looked through my phone and calendar and saw that his reputation and mine weren't remotely alike. Touching the untouchables. Forgiving the worst folks in society. An advocate for the poor and the marginalized. Loving the throwaways. Restoring dignity to a prostitute? Are you kidding? How did he do this? Why would he do this? God had a better way, had a a way better, way messier, way more redemptive plan and wanted to use me in ways I never dreamt possible. In January of 2007, I began working at this bar as a barback. That's a new term for me. Who here knows what a barback is? All right, amen, amen. (laughs) Amen. I'm with you now. I know what a barback is. A barback. I have parentheses here. Where is it? Where would I go? A barback is someone that sweeps up cigarettes and changes out the kegs and does the inventory. So in January 2007, he starts to do this. I went to this place on purpose, on mission. I went there not with the intention of planning a church. I thought I was going to be a college professor one day. It, it seems like he may be on that journey now. I went there with the hopes of meeting non-Christians and befriending them and sharing the gospel. He went there doing what the Corinthians weren't doing. Paul's correcting here in chapter 5. So he goes on. I'm reading his words. Night after night, I found myself answering people's questions about Jesus, faith, and the Bible. Some were obviously just antagonistic. And yes, I was made fun of a lot in the bar. But I worked really hard and I tried my best to stay focused on why I was in there. The questions soon shifted from mocking and jeering to late-night, sincere questions of the meaning of life. Why are we even here on earth in the afterlife? For example, one night, my friend Ivy and his girlfriend come in really late just before closing. He sat down and asked, Alex, uh, am I going to hell Alex, am I going to hell? Uh, Ivy, you're an atheist. You probably don't have anything to worry about. (laughs) I said with a grin on my face. He said, no, seriously. This afternoon, we were in the backyard working in the garden and found a turtle. We picked it up, stared at the shell for about an hour, and talked about how it looked like someone just painted it. It was perfectly designed. My nerdiness was drifting into teleological arguments for the existence of God, he says there. I said, yes, Ivy, someone did design that, but why are you worried about hell? I just am, he said. So today you went from atheist to agnostic to asking about the eternal state of your soul and you happen to be describing the afterlife defined according to Christianity. I guess so, he said. Wow. Wow been a big day, Ivy. I'll read with you a little bit more. Eventually, I won the ear of the owner of the Alamo, Amy Murphy. Amy, a 37-year-old lesbian and self-proclaimed atheist, found out I was planning a church. She asked me about it one day. When I told her I was hosting a meeting in my living room for people who were interested in the church, she asked me if she could come. Of course, I said. To my surprise, she actually came. After the meeting, Amy approached me saying, you need a bigger place for church. I laughed and said, yeah, uh, why don't you give me the Alamo? In a grace-filled moment of utter surprise, Amy said, okay. Done. And it was. She told me we could have it rent free. and We started meeting at the Alamo the following Sunday. Months later, Amy and I were sitting in her backyard on a summer day eating barbecue. And she said, I feel like I have a new heart. I pray all the time. Ask Jesus to forgive me for my sins. Help me live for him at work because it's such a crazy job. I mean, I've known over the past few months that God was with me, but now I feel like God is actually inside of me. Is that normal? It was my immense pleasure in that moment to tell Amy that Jesus had saved her. And what she was feeling and experiencing was one of the primary benefits of salvation, the indwelling of God's Spirit. Since then, Amy has opened other bars in and around Atlanta, and she wants to help other churches plant in her spaces so that more people can meet Jesus. So here's the hard part. So you might be thinking, all right, Pastor, so you want us to quit our jobs and get a job at a, at a gay-friendly bar? Almost certainly not for most of you. Let's be honest, it maybe it may someone here, but almost certainly not. It's not why I'm sharing this. I think there's other ways that God would have us respond so that my life and so that your life looks more like Jesus' reputation. And I don't know exactly what that is, but let me, let me try to give some help here. Again, this is where preaching gets really hard. I think for most of us, it's not quit the job and, and, and get a job at a place like the Alamo. For most of us, it's, Lord, give me eyes to see at work what my real mission is there. The ultimate mission. We need to do our jobs at work. I'm not saying that. Wherever you go, if you're a student, you need to be a student. But ultimately, Every one of us is working for the Lord Jesus. And he has given us a mission to bring him glory and to make disciples. Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for men. All of us, even if we're retired, we've got stuff that we do every day. Most of us are are going to work part-time, full-time. This passage is reminding us who we're actually working for. We're actually working for the Lord as we go to work. As witnesses of the Gospel. To display mercy. To display forgiveness. To display holiness. To display love. That's why we're really there. Whether uh, some of you work at Christian places, e- e- this applies to you too. But this especially applies to those of us that are associating with those outside the church. Paul here's—we uh, don't have time to get into it—but Paul here's writing to slave to slaves. That's the context here in Colossians three. He, he he's not he's not trying to help them out with, with, with the, the bad bosses that they have, slave owners. As you go to work, no matter what your job, you're going there for the Lord. So how do we respond to this amazing testimony and beautiful story of this guy who quits his job and and works at this bar? There's a lot of different ways to respond. and One is knowing that, that we are actually not at work ultimately to do the work that we're called for. We need to do that. But we need to do another kind of work, a gospel kind of work. And, I've, and I know many of you are doing this. So, man, keep doing it. Keep doing it. I know many of you are doing it. I've talked to you. Um, but some of you can compartmentalize and Jesus is left here or in your home as you go out into the world. And we cannot do that. Don't stop associating with those People out there, Corinthians, is what Paul's saying. So like I said, I, I, I've talked to several of you that are doing this at work, and one of them is Valerie. Come on up here, Valerie. It's kind of interesting and kind of cool. Didn't the Lord kind of plan this all out. Valerie works at a bar. I don't know if it's a gay-friendly bar. Not really. We're in the foothills, it's so we don't have gay-friendly bars. Bar. <laughs> so, so, um So you ha- have shared a lot of things with me about uh, you're a bartender. You're not mm-hmm. a barback. Yeah. But you do some barback work, probably.
2: Oh, well, there's only one of us on so staff you're, at you're any everything. given time, you're so i like everything. You're like
1: the solo pastor that you know, does everything. Sure, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you've shared with me about this one guy recently who knows that she's a believer, okay? They know that she is a gospel witness at this bar. And there's this one guy who thinks he's, who's really struggling and thinks he's, thinks he's what, demon possessed?
2: He believes he's demon possessed, yes.
1: So just tell, tell our church family a little bit about this guy.
2: Well, like he said, I, I've always tried to make it very plain to all of my customers that I am a Christian, um, and I do have a lot of conversations, just like you said, or like he said, some of them are antagonistic, and others are really genuine. Um, and this gentleman um, is actually, he's a patron of the bar, and he's actually a co-worker of mine as well. He works at the bar. Um, and he, I've always known that he's had a bit of an issue, never really sure what it was. Um, but he would, especially when he was two or three deep, he would talk to himself, like mutter to himself. And he was, you know, constantly like, you could tell he was struggling with something. Um, and as I got to know him better, he, uh, started filling me in on what he calls his voices. And he has voices that run around in his head and tell him to do horrible things or to say things. Um, when people are speaking kindly to him, he's got a voice in the back of his head saying they're lying. They don't really like you or you're not worth it. Run away. Um, so he was just, he's really been struggling with this for apparently for years, years and years. And, um, he's not really ashamed of it or anything. It's just a fact of life for him. And, like I said he knows that I'm a Christian so about a week and a half ago uh, apparently this was beginning to really bother him the voices were getting pretty antagonistic um and malicious and uh he knew that he could talk to me so he shot me a text and you know asked what I was doing and uh he ended up coming over to the house and um we just kind of hung out for four or five hours and talked Um, And he shared with me that, you know, he does, you know, he doesn't tell anybody else this, especially in the bar, because they're going to laugh at him, but he does believe that he's demon-possessed, and that this demon has been following him around uh, for quite some time. And I was able to talk with him um, and share with him about, you know, Jesus being able to cast out demons. Um, He was raised Catholic, so he does have some background in the faith, but he's not practicing. He's, you know, he's not a Christian, um, but I was able to to talk with him about that and pray for him. And, and you, were,
1: you were able to open the scriptures.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, we were able to, to look um, at the story about when Jesus casts the, the demon legion, I believe, um, out of the man and into the pigs and sends them off into the waters. Um, and it was specifically applicable to him because he told me that he feels like even though it's one voice, it's many beings inside of him. And that immediately brought that story to mind. I was like, "No, look, Jesus did this. He was able to to get rid of this um, so he's been willing at this point um at least outwardly to meet with Mike actually um sit down and and maybe talk and pray some more but
1: so if you see me in a bar in Nevada City.
2: <laughs> I'm, uh, There's a good reason. <laughs> I'm, uh,
1: I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Can we just take a moment and pray for this? Yeah, this I would love that. All yes. right, let's, just, let's bow our heads and, and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for Valerie. We thank you for her witness for Jesus at this bar in Nevada City. And we pray for this soul right now that is, that is struggling and that is, is in massive spiritual turmoil. We're thankful that, that Valerie is associating with people of the world and not compromising. Her husband is supportive of what she is doing. We thank you for that. And we pray that whether it's through Valerie or, or me or some other means, we pray that this man would repent of his sins, that he would believe in Jesus, and that he would find freedom and peace from these battles that are going on inside him, likely demonic battles. We know, Lord, that you have an inf- infinite power and strength, so we have no doubt whatsoever that should he come to you, that he will find freedom and peace. His life will, n- will be a battle in many ways like all of ours are, but he will find free- freedom and peace in Jesus. And we pray that we would hear that testimony in the coming days or weeks and months. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Valerie. Let's, uh, let's come back to our passage here in, in a few more minutes. We're going to finish up. Okay, Back to 1 Corinthians 5. Paul has corrected his earlier lost letter. It could conceivably be found someday. Some boy could be throwing rocks in a cave and find this ancient letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. If he did, it wouldn't be part of the canon of Scripture, we have the canon of Scripture here, but he's been correcting what he wrote in that letter, making sure that they know he wasn't saying to stop associating with the worldly people outside. So we, we've looked at, um, at verses uh, 9 and 10. Let's just look at uh, verse 11 through 13 now briefly. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. It's a strong language he's using. Verse 12, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. The wicked man here is the man likely a church leader that's in an incestuous relationship with his stepmom expel him from among you this is what you were supposed to do and you didn't do and what you were supposed to be doing associating with people of the world you stopped doing and so reading between the lines here i think what has happened is is likely someone has gone to this brother in the church or should have and said hey man you need to this isn't cool what you're doing obviously with your uh, stepmom living together and so on and and that didn't uh, pan out. He's saying, no, I'm, I'm going full force with Jesus and we're going to do this also. And then a few others should go. And we assume that happened. And we assume that, that uh, he is said, no, I am with Jesus and I'm going to live in open sin, unrepentant. This is okay. So in that situation, Paul is saying, expel the wicked man from among you, Corinthians. This is what you need to do. This is it. And so... A profession of faith in Jesus and a life of unrepentant, that's the key word, a life of unrepentant sin are totally incompatible. Don't throw that on those out there. On those in here. Cannot have that. Cannot have that. A couple more comments. Um, One commentator, Thistleton, uh, writes this. He says, the addressees, the Corinthians are to use their sense about how this works out so that no one is confused and so that a man such as the immoral offender is well aware of where he stands in relation to the community. And where he stands in relation to the community at Corinth, the church community at Corinth, is you aren't part of us. Sometimes people have asked me, where does the Bible talk about church membership? Here is one of the places where the Bible talks about church membership. There is a clear, the word membership isn't here, but there's a clear number of people that are part of this community at Corinth. And if you choose to live this way and say you also follow Jesus, you cannot be a part of this community. You're out. And this commentator is saying the addressees are to use their sense about how this works out. He's referring here to the way the NIV puts it is, uh, with such a man do not even eat. what what, he's trying to help us out with that the the point here isn't that you don't eat with this guy unless eating with him shows that he's part of your church family in that case don't eat with him you get the idea here do whatever it takes to show he's not part of you if that means don't eat with him don't eat with him doesn't mean you can't ever speak a word to him you got to turn your back to him and you know it's not that's not the point The uh, study notes uh, in the ESV Bible say this, One purpose here is redemptive with respect to the person committing the sin. But another purpose is to avoid giving the appearance of approving sinful conduct, lest reproach be brought on the church and the gospel. Jesus died for that man's sin. You can't simultaneously say, I'm going to live in it. And accept the Savior who died for it. You can't do that. that. You can't be a part of this. We can't make a mockery of the work of Jesus on the cross. So, two opposite responses. And we'll, we'll finish up with this. This is the big picture, little diagram here. Two opposite responses. This is us in this bottom circle. We are sinners. We have been touched by grace. We have been regenerated. And we live repentantly. The church at Corinth, the church at Cornerstone, Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches all over the world, this is is who who we are. Um, how, How do we respond to sinners outside the church? They're not touched by grace. They're living unrepentantly. How do we respond to those people? We respond to them with gospel love. We respond to them by associating with them, following Jesus, by befriending them, by loving them. We have the opposite response to sin within the church. Sinners like this guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who says he's been touched by grace, but he's living unrepentantly. He's not in the fight with his sin. That's where I live. That's where you live. We are repenting regularly. This guy's not there. So the response to that is with Matthew 18. We get a brother. Hey, man. Uh, or we, we go talk to him. We say, hey, man, you've, you've, you've got to change this. Do you see this is going on? And the godly man or woman says, oh, "Thank you for showing me that. Um, I didn't, I didn't see that. I, I mean, hopefully we've had, hopefully we have brothers and sisters like this. Mike, did you, did you see how you spoke to that person? That wasn't, that, that was sin. Did you see that? And and, and I should say, uh, no, I, I I didn't. If I didn't see it, I didn't see that. And thank you for pointing it out. And we repent. But that this is how we respond to someone who's living." Unrepentantly. hopefully they're, they're going to repent right away, but if they don't, then we take another couple brothers, and then finally the final step is, is expel the wicked man from among you. If he says, I'm going to live this way and follow Jesus, we cannot have that in the church because it scandalizes the gospel. And we are his body. We are his body. We are his hands and his feet. And the way that we live, and all the other congregations on the planet live, We are the witnesses to the gospel. We cannot live that way. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, I think if I were sitting out there listening to this sermon today, which I've been listening to it all week, I think many of us don't have reputations like Jesus. Many of us like the church at Corinth, are not associating with worldly people. A lot of it is not intentional, but it's it's the reality of, of where we're living. So we need help, Lord. Lord, for those who are, are going to work every day, Lord, I pray that perhaps today they would have either a, a, a new level of inspiration or for those who have been able to compartmentalize and they leave Jesus at home and at the church, that they would recognize that their boss at work is not really their ultimate boss, and that we're on mission. Lord, I pray increasingly that we would be the kind of people who take time to have meals and love sinners, display the gospel. We thank you for those who are doing that in our church, and we pray that you would just increase that. And we ask, Lord, that in the coming months and years that we would see many who would be coming here and would be baptized. And we would have many, many testimonies. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Would you like to stand as we respond to the preaching of God's word? With these prayers, with these songs.
1: My soul soul finds rest rest in God alone, alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress against my foes, and I will not be shaken.